Jr. and welcome back to Crossing Broadcast, the only Philadelphia sports podcast. I did that specially for uh, one of our co-hosts today. Of course, I'm joined as uh, sometimes here by Bob Wankel, who you can find on Twitter at BWCrossingBroad, who's our Phillies beat writer. And uh, Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at AntSanPhilly, who is our, uh, you know, Flyers beat writer. And these guys, of course, as anything else, they uh, are co-hosts of the show Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. So uh, we will be getting to the Phillies later in the show. But if at any point you're like, wow, I really want to listen to these two guys argue about Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, and Zach Britton, by all means, go find their show. Uh, in the description of this episode, you can just click on it, and it will redirect you to either Art19 or to iTunes, and you can subscribe to their show. But as always, check the description for timestamps and all that, and uh, we will be getting into a bunch of things, including the Eagles, the Phillies, even the Flyers, perhaps, and maybe mo- even more. So thanks for joining us. Bob, Anthony, thanks for uh, being on. I feel like I've graduated to the, to the big club. I've got, I got the call up to join the Crossing Broadcast. I've, I've, I feel like I'm I've, here I for think a I've cup been on, of coffee. I think I've been on this like once, twice, maybe. <laughs> I think usually it's when we do like the live shows. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of a time I actually hopped on my microphone to join Crossing Broadcast. This might be the first time. Well, you gotta as ride a person, the hot hand. As the yeah. person who's the uh, the most seasoned veteran at the uh, at the site of doing this, it only is fitting that you would be the last one to actually get a legitimate <laughs> shot at, at being on here. So that's fun. Oh, that's all and, good. And then there's Bob. Bob, what's up? What's going on, man? How we doing? Just uh, I, checking my Twitter feed, making sure that uh, Bryce Harper and uh, Manny Machado didn't sign anywhere. And, uh, you know, that's really been my life for the past month. So I feel like we did a, a really good sports talk radio thing there where it's, uh, you know, any caller who ever calls in like, oh, hey, hey, really love the show. Really like what you guys are doing. Uh, how, how, how you doing today? And then it's that back and forth. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I was thinking, I was thinking, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I, I heard somebody on the radio saying today that, uh, Nick Foles. Nick Foles should be the quarterback going forward. Uh, and if he leads them past the Chicago Bears, you better get your Carson Wentz Samsonite uh, suitcases ready for the guy because uh, he'll probably get you at least a first-round pick and second-round pick. I want to know what you guys think, so I'm going to hang up and listen. Anthony, I'll let you go because I know that you feel very strongly about this. Well, no, so here's the thing, okay? And, and it's, it, it's all over the place. This isn't in one location. Like, I heard it today. I was driving in the car, and I heard uh, – I was listening to WIP, and um, Joe Giulio was filling in for Ike Reese um, on the afternoon show. And I heard him talking about how with the, if the way Nick Foles has played, how he would consider keeping Foles as the starting quarterback over Wentz. And I'm like, you're, you're out of your mind. Then I go on to – uh, NBC Sports Philly, and Ruben Frank <laughs> has a story that's, you know, t- the headline, Could Nick Foles' Magic Convince Eagles to Change Long-Term Plans? And this is his opening paragraph. I'm going to be honest. I'm wavering just a bit. And I wonder if Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson are wavering too. How can you not? How can you be human and not wonder? I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> Look. <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, that's that's important because Ruben Frank is a, a staunch supporter of Carson Wentz. Yeah. I mean, to the point where, you know, you almost feel like he's his publicist sometimes. So yeah. for I, him to I, write I, that paragraph, that's I get it. That's I interesting. It. But let's let's no, really he's, let's he's really just look tapping in. He's just tapping into the Philadelphia fan. Of course right he now. is. Okay. And, and, and that's what everybody's doing, right? Everybody's just jumping on the span. I never thought that this could ever be a conversation. 
I mean, here you have a guy that you drafted, you traded up to get to number two overall to draft to be your franchise quarterback for the next 10, 12, 15 years, however long he's going to be in the league. Um, and, you know, he has an injury last year. Nick Foles comes in and pulls off the miracle. They win the Super Bowl. That's great. Great stuff. It's, it was real great foresight by Howie Roseman to have a good backup quarterback in place. And Nick Foles did the job. No one expected him to, but he did. Fantastic. And then he starts the year, first two games, wasn't very good. He was meh as your quarterback. So much so that they rushed Carson Wentz back from his injury probably a couple weeks too soon. Okay? And now Carson Wentz has another injury after playing for much of the season and battling through injuries while he was playing. And Nick Foles comes in, has a really great game against the Rams, has a great game against the Houston Texans. A phenomenal game. Yeah. An all-timer, right? It was an all-timer. It was a great game. It was a great game. And then everybody wants to say, well, look at look what they did against Washington. It completed 25 straight passes. Okay. All right. Let's, it's, first of all, A, it's, it's a dead Redskins team. Secondly, most of those passes were dink and dunk. Most of them, right? I mean, really look at the game, break it down. How many of those passes were really downfield? Not many. And, and that's great. He completed 25 straight passes. That's awesome. But does that make him, if you, if you take that, if you take these things as separate moments, right, that happened over the course of a year, okay, not consecutively, but over the course of a year, are you going to sit there and say, well, that automatically makes him, you know, a, a better option than the guy that you invested in to be your franchise quarterback for the next, you know, 15 years? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it. I, Nick, Nick Foles is a good quarterback, but he's not, he's, not gonna, he's not Carson Wentz. I mean, this is a pretty simple equation. He won the Super Bowl last year. He's right. He's 7-1 in his last eight starts. Uh, you know, he's – I have it here. I've been doing a lot of gambling stuff, and we were talking before the show yeah. about how I have this gambling-centric focus all of a sudden. And, you know, one of the things that I, I dug up was that he's 5-0 and as an underdog with the Eagles. And I mean, like, so I think people are seeing this and they're, they're going like, man, this guy, every time his back's up against the wall, all these games are not supposed to be winning. Like he keeps doing it over and over again. And, and so, you know, I guess to simplify this argument, if the Eagles lose on, on Sunday, 27 to six, and he throws four interceptions, I think that that's going to squash this controversy. And that's the thing that's, that's unbelievable about it. The amount of time that we We'll spend talking in this podcast about it, and then what Sports Talk Radio's done for the last week, two, three weeks now. I mean, if they get rocked on Sunday, this conversation's over, right? But what if they win? What if they go to New Orleans the following week and win? Like, Anthony, is there a point where you get to and, and you say, okay, like, I, I, maybe this team just does look better. I mean, defensively, they've allowed 18 points per game over the last three weeks. They look like they're they're playing with more spirit, more energy. Is And it's not like they're playing cupcakes. I mean, they beat the, the Los Angeles Rams and the Houston Texans, who I think have won 12 of their last 13 games. Yeah. So, I mean, is there just – is there a line where you say, like, okay, I mean, maybe this is something they actually do have to consider it, even though it's it's seemingly preposterous? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, look, you, you, sit there, you sit there and say, well, look at how great the defense has played the last couple of weeks. Okay. You're right. What does Nick Foles have to do with that? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, th- this all started, if you really want to break it down and see where this the Eagles kind of turned this around. They were down night. They had just gotten blown out by the Saints and were down nineteen to three to the freaking Giants. Okay, that team that team was on the precipice of being pushed off that ledge, 
and and having a complete and utter failure of a season. They came back and won that game. As far as I know, Carson Wentz was the quarterback when that happened, right? And then they started to turn it around from there. And, yeah, the Dallas game, he didn't have a great first half in that uh, Dallas game. Not, not great would be <laughs> – that's generous. I mean, okay. he was he horrendous in what was, a lot of people consider to be the most important game of his career to that point. So. But but to his credit in that game, to his credit in that game, he brought them back, got it to – gave him the lead – or uh, yeah, gave him the lead and then tied it again to get it to overtime. He had a really good second half against, against Dallas, as bad as that first half was. He had did a really he, good second half. Did he win that game? He didn't win that game specifically, no. But the yeah, defense but was the, the defense was terrible. He didn't win one of the most important but games. But Russ, of the, season. the defense. Oh, well, how do you say terrible. that? The, the, the defense kept them afloat in that game in the first half. In the I first mean, half, in the second right. half, they well, were terrible. You're, well, you're going, you're going, you know, a tale of two halves. Well, it was a tale of two halves. It was a tale of two well, halves. Well, I would just tell you that the team has played complete halves, both halves, with Nick Foles. At, because at Nick Foles is a better but quarterback. The, but what does that? <laughs> but what does that mean? What does it that mean? Carson that Carson Wentz is an inferior quarterback. What's so hard? No. What does what it mean when the defense out? plays a full game because Nick Foles is the quarterback? I, how does it that means translate? They like him better. It means they they play harder <sighs> for Nick Foles. On. It's because they know that they're underdogs with Nick Foles as their quarterback, and it no. fuels them. Anthony, they didn't need Nick That's Foles obviously to be what the it underdog. Means. I don't know how anybody can think anything else. I don't even they know why it's a question. They, they clearly don't like Carson Wentz. They don't. They don't like the AO One Foundation. They don't like any of it. They don't like his shtick. Russ, if I didn't know your shtick, Russ, they don't. If I didn't know came back early from injury and risked his career to come back in nine months from an ACL tear, they don't care. They don't respect it. If I didn't know your shtick right now, I'd I'd want to you know stick my hand through the microphone and punch you. The art of the take. So okay, let me let me back up because I'm pretty sure that somebody probably did drive off the road and swear to kill me. The this thing I don't think is that complicated. If Carson Wentz were healthy, this is no contest, right? If, if Carson Wentz came into the season, and, and this is a thing that I'd said to Kevin on Monday, if Wentz sat out the first six or eight games of the season, whatever he needed to really get himself back to a, a position of being fully healthy, and maybe, quite frankly, maybe that ACL was never going to be fully healthy this season. He made a, a, a remarkable recovery. But when you go back and you watch him mechanically and you realize that he's not planting well, and a lot of his throws and a lot of the inconsistency that we saw was because of the way that he was relying too much on his upper body to try to complete passes. You better hope so. I, I know. Um, if you see that and you say, all right, I know that he wasn't at his best. To me, I would have rather see them sit him out for six, eight games of the season. And maybe you end up with a losing record and like maybe it looks like it was a, a poor decision. But I think it's ultimately easier to sell to the fan base that you're being careful with your franchise quarterback yeah. than, to, than to rush him back and start this quarterback controversy. And what they did, in a sense, was they ran themselves into this situation. And I'm sorry, but like th this is the other thing I said to Kevin on Monday. I get why Carson's not on IR. But at the same time, I think you're just continuing to perpetuate and throw fuel onto this fire. Now, of course, if Nick Foles is able to lead the Eagles past the Bears <clears throat> on Sunday and somehow gets them to the you know, to a game against New Orleans and either he wins it or they decide that Carson is somehow healthy enough to come back and play that game. And Carson, you know, goes and leads them past New Orleans. Then, then maybe it's a different thing. But let's be honest. If Nick Foles goes out and puts on a pretty dominant performance against a very good Chicago Bears defense and goes into New Orleans and now all of a sudden the Eagles say Carson Wentz is healthy enough and Wentz blows that game, 
you've not only thrown fuel on that fire, you've thrown jet fuel on. That's it. never going to happen. He's well, not just saying, going to play. Well, I mean, well, then I guess the you know the question then, Bob is, and this is the thing that I I can't wrap my head around completely. If you're not going to put him on IR for the hope that like what he's going to play in the Super Bowl, no, I, to, I, like, I, I, I to me, I think it's more than that, Russ. I think it's more than that. I'm going to stop you in the middle of your of your thought. He's not on IR because let's say the Eagles go out and win Sunday, right? But let's say Foles gets hurt, gets hurt in the game, yeah, in exactly. the game that he can't play no, the I next week. No, they're not going to go. Nate, go with Nate they're Sudfeld. not going to go Nate yes. Sudfeld against the Saints. They're going to go to Carson Wentz. That's why he's. That's no, why I, he's I, not on IR. I get that, but then in that case, let's say everything is is square. Foles doesn't get hurt this week. Um, they win, and then they go into New Orleans. And now you're saying that Carson Wentz isn't healthy enough. But in that other scenario. Foles gets hurt in this game, they advance, and now you're going to play Carson Wentz. Like to me, that calculation that's not going to happen either. Well, what? Foles isn't coming out of the lineup the rest of this season unless he's hurt. It's plain and simple. And and no, no, that's what what I mean. Maybe I misspoke. But what what I'm saying is, if in one theory, in like one version of this, you're saying that Foles gets hurt, and now you have Carson Wentz as the available backup. But in like another scenario, he doesn't get hurt, and in theory, like he gets hurt in the like in the New Orleans game. And you don't think that Carson Wentz was healthy enough to to suit up for that game? Like to me, I just can't wrap my head around the idea that like, if you think that the fracture that he had in his back is something that he just should not be playing through, then like, I I don't see there being a consistent message here from the team of like. Does there need what to the be a consistent? So and and Anthony and I usually have these conversations about the the Phillies. Does there need to be a consistent message? Does it matter what the Eagles are? implying, though they're not directly saying it, does it matter what the Eagles are implying by not putting him on IR, maybe having him as insurance policy down the line? Does it matter if Carson Wentz is affected by this or how he feels about it? My guess is that Carson Wentz doesn't want to be put on IR. I'm sure that he's saying, hey, if there's a shot that we get to the Super Bowl and Nick goes down, like, I want to be available. You know, I didn't just rehab for the last year to be shut down if if maybe there's a possibility that we can win another championship if we advance deep enough in the playoffs. I mean, if well, you have this, if you have this insurance policy, and this is the one thing the Eagles have done exceptionally well the last two years, and this is really where they've they've beat a lot of other teams. You lose your starting quarterback, your season goes down the drain. The Eagles now, for two straight seasons, have been one of the few teams in the NFL that have been immune to that, and so now we're gonna we're gonna flush that insurance policy because of the optics. That doesn't make sense to me. So I, I think it would be if if there is a chance that he can physically play albeit in a backup role, if you got to the NFC Championship game or to the Super Bowl, which, by the way, I don't think is going to happen, it makes no sense to me to flush it just to, to you know, save feelings. Right, I well, agree. See, I, but see, that's why, I, to me, I think you're looking at the potential. I said this last year when Wentz got hurt, and I got killed for it. I, I think if you put him into a situation where he's not healthy, say that back isn't totally back to being healed, right? The team cannot put him at risk. Because if he takes one bad hit, or he takes a hit to the knee again, and re-injures himself, and I know it's a lot of ifs, but if he's not fully healthy, he's playing tentative, and he ends up re-injuring Russ. himself, you have Robert Griffin III on your hands. With and like now, it's, and now it's not just, it's no longer just like an issue of, hey, no. he had a fluke injury. Hey, he took a really rough hit against LA that screwed up his knee and wasn't going to happen under any other circumstances. Then you're looking at two straight seasons where your franchise quarterback Russ. has gone out with a major injury. Russ, I just don't think you risk him. I don't. If you if you have a chance to win the Super Bowl, and your options are Nate Sudfeld, who's never played a game, 
really. I mean, what got eight, eight he minutes threw a of, touchdown uh, against the Washington Redskins? Yeah, of, no, of nothing time, five or whatever it was, of nothing going, time. How are you Redskins. not going to put that in one of the all-time or, sports moments? Or Carson Wentz at eighty percent. Who are you going with? Who are you going with, Russ? Your chance to win the Super Bowl. Well, Who are you far, going with? How far are we spot? going? Are we saying the New Orleans game, or are we saying like you're it in the NFC matter. Championship? It does matter. It do- no, it does not. It you're in the playoffs. Does. If you're, you're in going the playoffs up against now, Russ, no, this is this is incredibly short-sighted, and I'm I'm embarrassed it's that you have this short-sighted. If, if you go into New Orleans and Nick Foles is hurt. I don't think you probably beat New Orleans regardless of who your quarterback is. So you're, you're right. If your doctors say it didn't go Carson so Wentz, well, if you say November. if you say your if your doctors say to you Carson Wentz is not this back is not fully healed, you're putting him at great risk if he plays in this game. Well, that's different. Then I shut him down, Anthony. But then I put Nate Sudfeld in. That's and you know why? Different. Because I don't think you're beating New Orleans. That's I just Russ, don't. that's different. If the doctors are saying that, then he's on IR. Do you see what I'm saying? If the doctors are telling you, oh, you're putting him at great risk, then he's on IR. But he's not on IR. There's a reason he's not on IR. Because the response that the doctors are telling the team is this. It would be better if he rested. But if you really need him in case of emergency, he's okay. He's okay enough to play. It sounds like concussions in the NFL. So the question that I have, because I, I think that we, we've kind of hit the dead end on this, is that let's say the Eagles go out on Sunday, they lose, or they win, and then they lose the next week in New Orleans, and they decide, hey, listen, you know, Carson Wentz is our franchise quarterback. He had been that all along. We had told you that, uh, and we're going to move forward with him. And, and thanks, Nick, for the memories, right? Does Carson Wentz, is there any lingering impact on him, how, I guess, with how this situation unfolded? I mean, do we really think that there, this could be an issue moving into 2019 if – if Foles is gone and it, it is Wentz's team again. I mean, because that's the thing for me. Like, I just think that this stuff gets overplayed. I, yes. I really do. If Bob. They, if, it, it's, Bob. Like a, it's a talking point, but I don't think it's realistic. Right. I think that it's his team and, and we all move forward. This is a media-driven and social media-driven issue. As far as the Eagles are concerned, and I, can say, and I have not spoken to a single person at, at that team. I haven't covered the Eagles in two years, okay? Joe Giglio alert. Joe Giglio alert. Go ahead. As far as I'm concerned, the Philadelphia Eagles do not – they don't care what, the, what we're saying. They don't care what story is out there. They're not sitting there listening to the fans talking about this or the media creating this quarterback controversy. It doesn't exist in their mind. In their mind – they're going to do what they need to do on a week-to-week basis to try and win the Super Bowl a second time. If they do, great. If they don't, okay, we go into, into the offseason. And when they go into that offseason, they're going to go into, into that offseason with Carson Wentz as their starting quarterback for 2019. And that's it. Nick Foles can be the, could be a, uh, a sports hero in this town for the remainder of his life and years to go beyond that. He's not going to be on the Eagles next year, either as a starter or as a backup. You know, I think that <laughs> Eagles fans can't lose either way because either they get another deep playoff run, and, you know, that's great. Or, you know, at the end of the year, they're either going to have a franchise quarterback in 2019 in Carson Wentz, or if things go well, great, we get to reap the benefits of that. Or if they don't, 
we can be miserable, which is like the default emotion for Eagles fans anyway. <laughs> See, I told you they shouldn't have let him go. So, I mean, I think it's really a no-lose proposition here. I, I think that either way, we're going to get to say, I told you so on Nick Foles, or you're going to have a really good football team and a potentially, you know, Hall of Fame quarterback. So, really, I think at the end of the day, we can all kind of just, you know, rest on that. So, speaking of being negative and, and not knowing which way to go on anything, uh, there are currently two free agents sitting out in MLB oh. that every every single person, and you want to talk about narratives that, uh, media-driven narrative. There are two guys that are still sitting out there, and, and all we were told was that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, one or the other, were going to sign first, and it was likely going to happen in the new year. We are two days into the new year, and neither has signed. What are the odds that both of these guys sit out the entire 2019 season? 610-632-0975 when we come back. Okay, so Manny Machado had a, a very strange moment a couple days ago. He followed the Yes Network on Instagram, and then almost immediately turned back around and, and unfollowed them, which had led to speculation that he was going to be signing with the Yankees. And then the Yankees go out and get Troy Tulowitzki on a minimum deal. And for some reason, Toronto is still going to pay the $20 million on his salary. Um, I mean, that was obviously part of the release, but they're going to pay $20 million for him to go play for the Yankees. Fine. Um, some people were speculating that that meant they were out on Machado and they might make a deeper run at Harper. And then Jim Salisbury today came out and said, that the Phillies intend on meeting with Bryce Harper's agent, Scott Boris, within the next week or so, and that the player might be present. He was not present when they met around the winter meetings in Las Vegas. So, guys, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, nothing seems concrete, nothing seems to have really developed, but yet everyone's losing their minds. Yeah, before we get into this, I have to say that I am so sick of this. Um, I was so excited going into this offseason. I said to myself... I don't have to watch Michael Franco anymore. I'm probably never going to have to watch, uh, you know, Cesar Hernandez again. I probably won't see Nick Williams, you know, play 110, 115 games next season. This is going to be awesome. We're finally turning the corner. Here we are. Like, I bought in, and Anthony was always skeptical. I, I will say now that I, I almost don't even care what happens. I don't care if the Phillies sign either one of these guys. I don't care if they go play for the Yankees, the Dodgers, whatever. I, I'm this whole like he followed Instagram. He followed the Yes Network on Instagram, and then he unfollowed them. And sources say they're not interested in the Phillies, but they might be interested in the Phillies, and they don't want to go ten years, but they're going to go ten years. I'm kind of just taking the approach at this point that I know two things for certain. I know that both of them are going to probably take the I shouldn't say certain, but I assume that both are going to take the highest contract offered, and I know that the Phillies still would like to have either player, right? I think like it's pretty obvious at this point that those are the only two things that we can kind of move forward and assume. I expect the Phillies to come in with the strongest offer on either player, so for that reason, and I, I know that Anthony's a little bit more pessimistic about how this is going to play out, I still think, though neither one probably has the Phillies at the top of their wish list, that one of them is going to end up here. And to that end, if I had to pick one, it would be Bryce Harper, though it doesn't seem like that's the direction the team's trending in. So I'll let you take the rest of this, Anthony. I, th there's nothing here. I, this is... Continued, you know, we, we live in a world now where everybody just has to take any kind of snippet of conversation that's being had. Um, you know, the, the reporters are chasing these stories, right? And then they're like, okay, well, let me let me check in with this agent or let me check in with this team official. And you say, well, how, how are things going? Um, oh, yeah, well, we're going to – we've talked to so-and-so. Oh, there's the news. We've talked to so-and-so. Well, that doesn't mean that they hadn't talked previously or it doesn't mean that there hasn't been ongoing conversation or they haven't talked to 15, 20, 25 other 
players and their agents. So, yeah, okay, Bryce Harper's going to sit down in Las Vegas and meet with them. But guess what? Bryce Harper's not coming here for a tour of Citizens Bank Park, is he? He's not getting his picture and, and put up on the screen. Does he like, need to? Like Patrick Corbin did. Do, do, like, does he need Manny to, Machado. though? Does but that the, matter? Well, yeah, because it, it obviously worked on Patrick Corbin. Well, no, no. It's, it's I mean, how many the, games has he played at Citizens Bank Park over the last five or six years? Do, does he need to see Citizens Bank Park again? Does he need to have his ass kissed on the Jumbotron? Like, he knows. No, but it, it, a lot of time, and one thing I will say for Machado, when he talked about his visit here, he said, you know, you learn a lot of different things about the organization when you come and do the visit and you sit down with them and you go to dinner and stuff. You learn a lot about it. I'm not necessarily certain that you learn as much. You don't get to meet the people out in Las Vegas. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it won't work. I mean, they could certainly get, no, to answer your question, Bob, no, that he does not have to. But it, it tells a different story when it happens. It really means that, you know, when the guy goes to visit a team, you have to take it into consideration that, yeah, it's that team's on the list for that guy. Now, again, we all think Manny Machado's number one team. We pretty much know his number one team is the Yankees. But it's, I think it's fair to say that the Phillies are either two or three on his list. At worst, four if there's a mystery team that we, don't, we haven't heard about. Um, I'm not certain that Bryce Harper, you have the same same thing because you just don't know um boris has been a lot better at keeping his cards close to the vest um than machado uh machado has so i'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out the one thing i do know is that the phillies will probably be willing to offer a longer term on a contract for bryce harper than any other team probably for manny machado as well than any other team but I'm not certain that that's a selling point, because if you're if to put, these guys are so young, take this into consideration. Philly's willing to offer them. Let's say he was willing to offer Bryce Harper and Manny Machado one or both of them ten years, okay, to take them till they're 36. Okay, great. But let's say you're Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, and another team says we'll offer you seven years with the last with an op you know an option for you to opt out of it at five or six. Or whatever. Um, and now you're looking at it and saying, well, okay, I'm, I'll be 32 and I can be a free agent again. And if I'm still producing like I'm producing, I can get an even bigger contract because in six years these contracts will be even crazier. The money will be even crazier than it is right now. So if that's the case, then the, the term that the Phillies are offering is not – I mean, yes, it's guaranteed money, but it's not – you know, I, if, when you're 26, I don't think you're sitting there sitting there saying, well, well, gee, I'd like to get that money now, knowing or no lock in that I'm going to get that money. Or you have enough confidence in yourself to say, I'll still be a great player in five, six years. I can go get another contract that'll be close to that, if not more. I, th- I don't think term is that big of a deal when you're talking the difference between six, seven, ten years. I don't think it is. I do yeah, love I mean, the, the idea of the, the short term deal, like the, the short term opt out ability. I think that's. It, it's something that we've seen happen. I know the the sports don't totally line up here, but I know that you know in the NBA, the where it's a player driven league, and and obviously one big marquee free agent can change the entire fortune of a franchise. But a lot of the top guys, Kevin Durant and LeBron James, both come to mind. Now LeBron, in this case, signed a multi year deal, and there's no immediate opt out. But they've been doing one and ones for a few years because they want to control their own destiny and they want to know that from year to year their team is going to continue to improve or they're going to be able to look elsewhere and be wooed and, and courted by other teams. If, if, it, if you were in charge of the Phillies, if you were John Middleton 
and you had the fat stack of cash on the desk. And your options are to offer these guys $35 million a year for 10 years for like a 350 total. Um, or you can offer them closer to $50 million for four years. And that increases the likelihood of those guys signing with you. Do you make that offer? Does that even come across your mind? And if you're Machado and Harper, I mean, I would think that at least in the case of Machado, he's what, 26? The idea of hitting free agency again at 30, to your point, Anthony, when the contracts are going to be ridiculous, like that to me does seem like a better play on the player side of things. I mean, I know like 50 sounds insane and someday it won't be anymore. But on a short-term deal, as a team, you're reducing your risk. And and on the player side, it makes a, a ton of sense to, like, it's not even like you're rolling the dice on yourself for four years. Unless you absolutely hit the skids and forget how to hit, like, you should be able to cash in on a big deal in four years, right? Well, you look at where the economics of baseball is at right now. And we had a brief conversation about this before the show started. Um, you know, the free agency market is is slow and it is fairly dry. Um, there's always a team that's willing to go that extra year, that extra, you know, $10, 15000000 million on a deal to, to win a competition, you know, if there's four or five bidders. But I, I almost wonder to what extent the owners feel somewhat responsible for keeping the economics within the game where they're at. You know, like you flip baseball upside down if you offer an additional, you know, $20 million a year and you start handing out contracts that way. I mean, you you could potentially alter the entire financial landscape of the game by doing that. Um, and strategically, does it make some sense? But I, yeah, I guess it does. But to what extent do you owe it to your fellow owners and, you know, to not really blow the roof off the thing like that? I mean, if Middleton was going to spend stupid money, Right. Like if that if that was the idea here, then maybe it, it does require a, a fundamental rethinking of how contracts are structured are structured in the league. Does it get to a point too where you look at this and, and I've had this thought and I haven't publicly said this, but I'm, I'm starting to kind of approach it as much as I want a Manny Machado or as much as I want a Bryce Harper in this town. Um, does it matter that these guys seemingly don't really want to be here? Like, you know, everyone, like, loves the idea of, of Mike Trout because, oh, he's from Millville and he lives here during the winter. And who the hell would want to live in Millville in the middle of the winter if you're playing in L.A. the rest of the year? And he goes to Eagles games, and it's such a fun idea to think about. And he would definitely want to play for the Phillies, and he's a hometown guy. And people love that idea, and I, I don't know if any of that's true. In fact, I, I'm going to guess it probably isn't. But, like, do you want to hand a 10-year or 7-year contract worth $300, $350 million to a guy that just is like, eh, I, I guess I'll take this deal because I have to? I mean— Well, I, I guess the question is, is, ask the Yankees how they feel about having Stanton's contract right now. <laughs> I don't think they feel great about it. Right. So I, so I think that's the—I think that's what your—I think your point is, is spot on there, Bob, in that, you know— it, you're you're going to offer these ridiculous contracts, um, but boy oh boy, you're really tying yourself down to something, and the player might not be happy with it too because you know they think that they're getting you know they see those those dollar signs now, but in five years six years it's not that big of a contract anymore, right? I mean it's just it's not there's going to be others that are even bigger. So I mean I, I don't think the players like it. I don't think the teams are going to like being saddled with it. I don't necessarily think it's the right way to go about doing doing business well i mean even think about the albert pujols contract right 
Like, didn't Pujols got it was thirty, wasn't it? Thirty over ten years. Yeah, his contract was awful. It was I, awful. I, I think it was thirty over ten years. And then there was like a partial. Wasn't there ownership? There was something. There was another provision to that that was a strange deal. But after that blew up, like two years into it, the the general consensus I thought had been around baseball that like these kind of deals can't be given out again. If it didn't work for the best hitter in the entire game at the time, then why would it work for anybody else? And yeah, yet, just to, and uh, yet these deals keep getting handed out. Just to clarify that it was a ten-year deal worth two hundred and forty million dollars. He becomes a free agent in twenty twenty-two. Um, weird how this this uh, contract was structured and. Kind of something that I think that you may see with the Machado and Harper deals, especially if they end up going full 10 years. Um, he made $12 million his first year of that deal, 16, and then it started to balloon into the mid-20s. And it actually finishes uh, in 2021 and 2022 with a $30 million a year. So, he, that's what I was so it does inflate and it does take into account... You know, obviously they they backloaded the deal, which isn't completely uncommon, but it does also take into account how the economics are going to shift over the course of a decade as well. So, you know, I do think that you're going to see that that deal kind of back end, you know, and and be very heavy in the latter years of it. Yeah, the only one that I can think of that really probably was worth it was the original Alex Rodriguez contract. Right, With the Rangers. Well, it didn't work out for the yeah. Rangers, but I mean, it, he gave out the produ- the production that he gave over the course of those ten years, two hundred and fifty million dollars, was of the best player in the game at the time. The second one that he signed was probably the one that the Yankees kind of regret a little bit because they gave him too much and too long of a contract. Um, but I think that that initial one was probably fair, and, and probably the one that you sit there and say, okay. I guess that's the that's the one time where a really ridiculously long contract, you know, the player produced for the entire length of it. He made $32 million in 2009 and 2010 with the yeah. Yankees, 31 in 2011. I mean, that's just that's bonkers money, man. That's that's absolutely wild. So when you look at it and you say, "Oh, 30 35 million dollars a year for for Bryce Harper or Manny Machado." I mean, <laughs> I think that that's what it's going to be, you know? Yeah. Can I just say that for, for each and every person who argues back and forth that, you know, you should take Bryce Harper because he's a, he's a real Philly guy. He hustles and he's, he's tough. <laughs> yeah, that's all but, bullshit. But you, don't, but you don't want Manny Machado because he loafs and he said that he's not Joey Hustle or Johnny Hustle or whatever. I mean, if, if I were Mike Missinelli, I guess I would try to make this a race debate. And say that you know Machado is being considered lazy because he's Hispanic, but the but the good old like white golden boy in the game is supposed to be you know the the hustler, um, and I could turn that into four hours of sports talk radio and and then kind of you know pivot my way out of it I guess. Um, if if you're a fan of this team and you in your mind can't get your head around the idea of signing Manny Machado over Bryce Harper, I don't know what to tell you. But I, I've heard enough of it. Where I'm, I'm honestly perplexed by it. I don't now, know if do, it's, do, like. Uh, do I think Manny Machado is a great defensive shortstop? No, by no means. And and like this is the thing that I, I keep coming back to every time I read one of these national guys who clearly isn't plugged in because if they were, they would break news in the same kind of vein that like Woj does in the NBA or Darren Dreger does in the NHL, right? Uh, the idea that the Yankees are somehow more attractive to Manny Machado because he can play shortstop until Didi Gregorius gets back is nonsensical at best to me. 
because inevitably you're going to be in a spot where like Gregorius, I don't think can play third base. So is the idea that you're going to sell Machado on the possibility of playing shortstop for 120 games and then moving him to third anyway, because right now it doesn't really appear that anybody has the flexibility except, you know, like the white Sox maybe, but like nobody really seems to have the flexibility to say, yeah, dude, like you can come in and be our starting shortstop. Right. Like, it seems like well, everybody the who's going to go after... can play Manny they, Machado at shortstop and then, and then Sigurd what Sigurd to second. And... Yeah, he did that in what, 2016? Yeah. He was, a, he was like a decent enough... And he probably would be better at second base in terms yeah, he of was a, defense. Yeah, he was a neutral. He was a yeah. defensive Anthony run had, neutral. Anthony had yeah. on that when they initially made that deal. So I don't think that there's a, a roadblock to him playing shortstop. I, what I do think is that... Uh, he was entering a, a contract, uh, you know, this a big contract negotiation, something that was really, uh, I think a lot of the industry was looking at this deal. And he had a couple of really bizarre moments in October. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't shy away from him because of it. You know, I, I will say that. I just think that you, you open up Twitter and you see him stomping on guys at first base and then he makes his comments and you well, see Chase him Chase Utley did that and he's, yeah. he's, you know, revered in this town. So I don't... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not going to go down that road personally, but I, I do think that it is silly to shy away from him because of whatever transgressions, and I thought they were relatively minor transgressions personally. Uh, that's not my issue. My overall issue is just if you come here... Do you want to be here to a reasonable extent? And, you know, are you here to win? And, like, if you can, if you sit down with the player, you know, if you think that that matters and you sit down and you have your dinner and your four hour meeting with them and you come away thinking, like, yeah, this guy does want to win baseball games and he is motivated to, to continue to be one of the game's elite players, then you got to do the deal. Like, you just got to do it. And the reason you have to do it, and I know that we're on crossing broadcast, so I don't want to go too deep into the Phillies here, but the reason that you're in this position is because. The Phillies failed to do what the Cubs did going back three, four years ago. They don't have Chris Bryant. You know, like they don't have Addison Russell. They didn't have Javi Baez come up. They didn't have these young guys, Kyle Schwarber. And I know that he's been inconsistent. And each of these guys, yeah, Wilson Contreras, these guys have had their struggles. I get that. But they also all came up and they've given that team reasonable production over time. And the Phillies, aside from Reese Hoskins and Aaron Nola, simply don't have it. And so now they're in a position where they're going to, if they want to compete in the next two, three years, they're going to have to pay someone, whether it be Manny Machado, Bryce Harper. You can try to kick the can down the road a, a year from now and cross your fingers and hope that Nolan Arenado comes. But the, 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 the reason that that's a preposterous idea is because anything can happen between now and next offseason. Who, who knows if Nolan Arenado wants to be here? Who knows if Nolan Arenado doesn't blow out his Achilles in September, and then you don't want him anyway. Like, you can't just keep saying, oh, well, the next year's free agent class is good too, especially when you have two premier guys who we all know that you wanted in the first place are sitting there on January 2nd available to you. This is how you got to fix your team now. Sorry, you didn't develop players well enough. Well, in fairness, though, like, in, a guy, in the case of a guy like Scott Kingery, like, where, where does he fit on this team? He's a super utility guy, Russ. He can do but a little it, bit of everything. But, is that, but, like, that doesn't, doesn't strike me as, like, the way to make him the most successful. Like, can he play third? Could he potentially play third and do it well? Well, well he played some, he played yeah, some third, he played last third last That's year. That's not what I'm asking. Could he actually be an everyday third baseman? Is there, no. is there a path no, to it? No, I don't, I don't see that. He's a second no. baseman. He's a second baseman. So then you haven't, so like one of the guys who you thought maybe could have done something coming up through your system and who had played well at second or at a, yeah, at second base, like you, you've now essentially gotten rid of his only, you know, 
his only path to to stardom here. See, I unless don't totally able, hate the spot. Unless, unless you're able to sell Machado on playing third, and then like, like I, I don't know. I don't totally hate the spot they're in with with Scott Kingery. To me, like the guy was just doomed from the start last year. It didn't go well. All right, and you can't write him off after one bad year. And I'm not saying that you are, but I actually think it may work to his advantage if he comes back this year and he is in a role in which he's playing four or five times a week. He's still getting consistent at bats, but he's not. He doesn't need to be a 300 hitter. He doesn't need to be a key player. You kind of ease him into this thing. I think that that's okay. And if things go well, then second base is available for him. I mean, Cesar Hernandez can either be moved at the deadline or if push comes to shove, Scott Kingery is your second baseman in, to, to start 2020. 2020. And that's not yeah. the end of the world, you know? Like, he... I don't want to say he's a luxury because the guy hit, what, 225 last year. And we really, at this point, don't know what he's going to be. But I don't think that you need to be in a rush to make Scott Kingery your everyday second baseman or even really have a defined role for him at this point. I, I just don't think it matters. Um, and I know some people disagree with that. You know, a consistent defensive position may have helped him in terms of his transition to the major leagues a year ago. I'm not going to say that it, it might not have. But at the end of the day, like, you get into your second major league offseason and, you know, or going into your second major league season, either you can hit or you can't. And it's going to start to become evident this year. So I'm not ready to make any over-sweeping, overarching statements about his ability right now. But, like, he's got to do it this year. And if, if he doesn't, then I'm not giving him second base anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just like, I, I, I hate the idea of taking one of your only decent-looking decent prospects and playing him as a super utility guy. Yeah. For the, for the sake of, you know, appeasing Cesar Hernandez. Like, I don't get it. To me, like, I, I thought Hernandez was going to be traded last year for maybe a reliever to somebody, like, in the AL West. And and just, like, get him out. Like, get, yeah, and it, it won't thought, happen. I, he, I, I, I don't think he it's going to happen. I thought he and Freddie Galvis were going to go in two separate deals last year. And I thought they were going to clear second for Kingery. And I thought it would have made a lot of sense. But again, like, if Machado ends up being the guy that you bring in, you know, then you have to move Segura. Unless you are able to sell Machado on the idea of playing third. And I just don't know if you can. But I, I don't know. Anthony, do you want either of the guys? Um, do I want them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 kind of a silly question, Russ. But I. Well, what about the fact that Bryce Harbor had a a bad year? I don't comparatively? care. And what about the fact that Manny Machado doesn't hustle? Irrelevant. Does that preclude you if that's from Bryce wanting either of those guys? Year, if that's Bryce Harper's bad year, I'm in. Yeah, 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 completely, completely irrelevant that he doesn't hustle on one ground ball out of every, you know, eighty that he hits. <laughs> Big deal, right? No, I, yeah. So I would take, I would take either one or both. Um, do I think that they're coming here? No, that's where I'm the pessimist. I just don't. I, I don't. I don't see it. I think that there are more lucrative possibilities out there for both players. All right. I don't know. And if they don't, they're in a lot of trouble because, I mean, Atlanta is the real deal. They've gotten better. Washington's still very good. Washington may be better next season than they were a year ago. And what if Harper resigns there? Yeah. I mean, there's talk today yeah, that he might bad. go back there. Yeah, that would be bad. Be really bad. And then, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with what the Mets are doing. Like, I don't look at the Mets as a viable contender to win the division, but they are a, a functional baseball team. And you could make the argument with those two starting pitchers at the top of that rotation that they – 
that they're ahead of the Phillies. I mean, I don't think that that's a wild suggestion to say that the Phillies may be the fourth best team in the NL East as things sit right now. I also think that this offseason could still get very wild for them, and I will say that. I, I think that there's still a possibility that they make some trades. I could still see Michael Franco going somewhere. I could still see Odubel Herrera going somewhere, and I, I know – I think we're so focused, and I think that the rest of baseball is waiting to see what Machado and Harper are going to do. But there are a lot of dominoes that are going to fall once these guys sign elsewhere. You know, whether it be in Philly or wherever they end up going. I think there are a lot. There's a lot of action that's still left to be determined here. It's not like free agency five, six, seven years ago, where you had that flurry of activity in December, all the big moves were made, and then you didn't really see any more action until July. You had those second tier guys sign right before the season started, and then you had your trade deadline deals. I think that this could still get pretty interesting in January and maybe even into the beginning of February. Do you guys think that there's a possibility the organization looks at at Roman Quinn and and even though he's never been able to prove that he can be healthy, do you think there's at least a thought that there might be a, a less of a reluctance as maybe in the past to trade a duel rare knowing that Quinn's there? Or do you think that a, a move that includes a duel is predicated on them getting Harper to, to play one of the outfield positions? Yeah, I don't think Roman Quinn really plays into that decision. I really don't. I, I, no, I'm not I, I, see, I can see him moving into him. that I'm role, saying, but, but like knowing that he's there and he could be competent. I'm not saying that you're looking to move a double specifically to get Roman Quinn playing time, but you feel a little bit better knowing that he could be a. Competent I could get a legitimate player. left-handed starting pitcher for Adubel Herrera at this point that you could call a two or a three. I I would do that. Well, yeah, I absolutely would do that, and I would feel okay with having Roman Quinn there. But I see, I think that Roman Quinn could end up playing a, a ton of innings for the Phillies this season. And I think ultimately he could be a starter here, but I do think the team wants to see him stay on the field for two months consecutively before they say, hey, you're going to be our starting center fielder uh, in a perfect world. But we're not operating in that right now. So, you know, like I said, my overall point, though, is that I do think that there are still a lot of moving parts to this thing. And, and the projected starting lineup right now for opening day as it sits on January 2nd, uh, I, I think it's going to change between now and, and when things actually start up. I agree with that because I think that the Phillies are ultimately going to have to go after other players. They can't just go into the season with now what they have and not spend Phillies. any more money. A.J. Pollock. I like A.J. Pollock. I actually Am like I A.J. Pollock. Yeah, he's a nice player. I wouldn't hate that, but give me Bryce Harper. I want to see 40 home runs and hit some yeah. balls off the Liberty Bell, all that shit. So. Yeah. Machado and, uh, and Pollock, I'm in for it. I'm here. I'm here for it. Um, question. The amount of mm. guys that, that have Scott Boris as their agent, it would it would seem that he really does get to dictate the entire pacing of the entire game, of the entire offseason. Whereas in other sports, maybe, you know, like the, the Drew Rose and Houses of the World, I think have lost a little bit of power. In the NBA, it's a lot more diversified. Um, you know, clutch sports has gotten a, a real stranglehold on, on a lot of top players, but not everybody is at that one agency. Does it does it just continue to feel like Scott Boris really does dictate the way that this entire sport works, especially at this time of year? And do you think that might be why owners are playing hardball so much in free agency? Anthony, I'll let you field that. <laughs> no, Bob, go right ahead. I mean, I think that Scott Boris controls the game. <laughs> I do. I, I think that the um, amount of clients that he has, the amount of influence that he has, the prominence of his players. I think that Scott Boris is 
arguably one of the three most important people in the game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just don't think that there's really any other way around it. I know that's a kind of a generalized answer, but, you know, I, I think that he, he does hold all the cards. Yeah, I agree with Bob. I was I was hoping that he went there because I, I didn't want to be the one guy who came out and said it because I always am the one who says, you know, the agents have a lot more control in, in all of sports uh, than they probably should. But, um, yeah, I agree 100%. I think Boris dictates a lot. And he controls – he does such a great job of controlling the temperature on free agency every year. He he is – it's almost like you wait for his clients to see what they get. But then he try he may – if he needs one of his clients to wait at, wait out something even longer, then he will. You know, it's it's kind of he plays the he plays poker with the, with the with the uh, owners and the general managers. Here's the one thing that we know: whatever the deal is with Bryce Harper, whatever it ends up being, it's going to be an excellent deal for the player. Whether it be because of the guaranteed years, the total overall value, um, the opt out clauses, it's it's going to be. I mean, there is a lot of pressure. Everyone talks all this this stuff about Scott Boris and. I think that there's a lot of pressure on the player to get the right deal, and there's a lot of pressure on the agent to get the right deal in this situation. And I think that that is part of the reason why it has taken a little bit longer for this thing to play out. Uh, But I think the people that are really kind of plugged into it, they're not necessarily surprised that it's taken this long either. I think that you're going to see a very, very, very uh, player-friendly deal for this guy. Uh, And that's my ultimate sense, and, I, you know, I don't know if that really answers your question, Ross, but I, I think that you know, <laughs> Scott Boris is, is, like I said, he's one of the three most powerful guys in the game. All right, my last question, I guess, since I'm, uh, I'm now mediating uh, Crossed Up Podcast, is uh, <laughs> what are the odds? And I know it's, it's been brought up, and I know you guys have talked about it on your show uh, a bit. What are the odds that Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, in, in kind of taking in each of the situations that they're being courted, Look at Gabe Kapler and look at Matt Clentac and say no thanks. That they just have real hesitance on either the manager or the GM or a combination of both. You can even throw in Andy McPhail and his role is kind of being like a rod thorn to this team where it's just like you have this older guy who has some kind of cred within the game. Do they do they actually care all that much? Like do, do the guys, I know coaches are, are usually maybe a little bit more important than, than the front office guy, but like. Are we seeing Kapler reluctance? Are we seeing Klintak reluctance? Is that what's going on? I don't think it's the primary issue, but I I can't sit here and tell you that it's not discussed or not talked about because I certainly think that it is. And I think more so from a perspective of um, how does this team operate? And and what I mean by that is just on the whole, what is their philosophy – you know, how do they treat their players? And it's something that they're going to talk to other guys who are currently there or guys who were there at one time. Uh, agents know a lot of players who've been through organizations and they kind of get like, you know, a lay of the land. And I think that that's certainly something that's put onto the list of considerations. So if you're weighing between two or three offers, that are very similar, well, how do you make a determination? Well, obviously, you know, your first choice is probably, 
you know, all right, who ha- who do I think has the best chance of winning a championship? And your second choice might be, you know, we want to be close to, you know, if you have a family, you know, wife and kids, you know, you want to be closer to where the you know, where the wife's family's from or something like that. But I think somewhere on there's a million things on that list, but I think somewhere on that list and probably closer to the top than than you've realized is how the organization is run. Um, and and you know the way that it's run from a, on a day to day basis as well, not just uh, you know from a management perspective, but also in the in the clubhouse and the and uh, and in the in the dugout and you know lineups and the like. And I think that a lot of that is all discussed and thought about. I don't think it's a it's the ultimate decision, but I certainly think it's it plays in for guys. I agree with that. I will make two quick points. Um, Anthony and I had kind of discussed Gabe Kapler uh, about a month ago, and I had said to him, and, and I think we kind of agreed when I had said this that this is this is it for Gabe Kapler. Like he either flames out for a second straight year, and he never gets another managerial job in Major League Baseball, or he's here for the next five six years. I mean, like I think that this is the to say it's a pivotal year for him seems obvious, but I think so much so that it's either going to work and he's going to prove his chops, so he's going to prove his worth, or it's just going to go up in flames. Like I just feel like that this is the ultimate boomer bust proposition, and I think we're going to know the answer to how this thing plays out at the end of this season. Like I don't think we get to the end of, of 2019 and go, the verdict's still out on Gabe. Like, I think you're really going to know. I think you're going to know by the results on the field. I think you're going to know by how the rest of this free agency process plays out. I think you're going to know by how the players respond to him once they actually get onto the field. I, I just, it just seems to me like we're going to get the answers that we may not have at this point on Gabe Kapler. Um, to that end, too, you talk about the organization, and and not to say that you or Anthony were saying anything negative about the organization, but they clearly have their flaws, and I think that the perception of this organization right now, certainly with the fans in the city, is one that it, it, it lacks confidence. I think that a lot of people are questioning what the direction of this team is. I don't even know, and, and you've said this, I don't know that the team necessarily knows what direction it's headed in, and I think a lot of it is maybe outside of their control, but it seems like they're constantly changing philosophies. Um with that said, you go back five, six years ago, and they had a 257-game sellout streak. They had won five straight NLEs titles. They had been back-to-back World Series. They were one of the most po- popular teams and marketable teams in all of baseball. Um, the, the owners spent a lot of money. It was a first-class organization if you go back eight, ten years. So, it, you know, it's not like there's no precedent for this like this team this organization can be successful it can spend money it can be an electric place to watch baseball like it's not like we're we're making up a scenario that has never happened or that we're speculating about something that didn't previously occur so though I think there are a lot of questions to answer about where this team currently stands and where it's headed you know, I mean, you can to some extent, I think, point and say like, hey, like we just did this and we did it very recently and we can do it again. And that's what we want to do. And I, I don't think it necessarily has to come across like you're blowing smoke up someone's ass as you're trying to sell that either. All right. Uh, the only reason that I, I was really asking about the, the coach and the GM is because at some point I wonder, you know, how long it's going to take for this group of players. And I don't really think this team has necessarily a core that they're building around outside of NOLA and Hoskins. But if they if they were to have a, a down season and they were to fire Gabe Kapler after his second season, and then you know people start kind of pointing fingers at the GM and they wonder if if you know he put 
the uh, coaching position to be successful or if he had, you know, accumulated the right pieces and, and put together a cohesive enough team. I kind of look at what's happening, Anthony, with the Philadelphia Flyers and the fact that after firing their GM and firing their coach, the team is still just as bad as they've been. In fact, they've had a, a very rough stretch over the last 11 or so games. They've lost four straight and the kind of issues that have plagued this team all season continue to rear their ugly heads. Yeah, well, the problem if you, uh, well, if you read read, read what I wrote <laughs> on on the website uh, earlier today, uh, today being January second, um, yeah, I mean, this is an organization that tried to do anything it could to help this team feel better about itself so that they would start winning with the talent that it has. And we're now coming to the realization that maybe this team just isn't that good and that no matter changing the general manager, changing the coach, changing an assistant coach, you know, calling up the 20-year-old, you know, savior goaltender, none of it's worked because of what you have in place just doesn't gel and it's gotten to the point now where you can no longer talk about this team getting back into the playoff race because no team comes from uh, 12 points 13 points back on January 2nd and makes the playoffs it just doesn't happen I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to find like the one time in the history of the game that it has happened, but whatever. It, it, it just it just doesn't happen. And so therefore, this team now has to go into this month and next month to looking to um, sell off some pieces and they'd be better off just getting themselves into the lottery and, you know, try and lose for Jack Hughes, who is going to probably be the number one overall pick in the draft. Um, and, and he's a, uh, you know, a transcendent type of um, generational player. And, you, you know, get hope, hope that you land that guy. Um, and that will be part of a quick rebuild. Because I, I think that the one thing that, you know, this team's not good and needs to make changes – but they don't need to completely overhaul everything. The one good thing is that they do have a well-regarded um, batch of prospects. So there are players coming who are going to be NHL caliber and decent players in the league. What they don't have right now outside of Giroux is any players that can help a team not just make the playoffs, but be competitive on a night-in, night-out basis. That's what's missing. And that that's what they need. And if maybe if if they started to make these these moves a month and a half ago, <laughs> right? Started to try and find players that they could help upgrade the team, then maybe you say they can make a push. You know, when they fired Hextall, they were what were they? 10, 11 and 2, I think at that point. Um they they now they're now one point away from being the worst team in the NHL. Think mind about blowing. that. It's mind blowing. Yeah, it's a good year I mean, for me to start on the uh, on the beat down there. You know, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, no, nothing good. Rex. Bob, how nothing many uh, how many Flyers games have you checked in on this year? I probably watched like a handful. Like, yeah, I, have you been impressed? 
no, I haven't <laughs> been impressed. No, um, I actually I gotta say, like as much as I am completely apathetic to hockey in general, like I still watch it. Like I still want to have an, a little bit of an idea of what's going on. I mean, I, this has been a tough year. I, I feel for you guys a little bit. You know, having to sit down and watch this crap every night. Well, I, I will say this: don't feel for us too much, mm-hmm. because although it is kind of crappy hockey. The soap opera element yeah. is so much yeah. better t- for people who have to, you know, document it. So there, there, it's a lot more interesting for us. Let's say I won't call it fun. It's always more fun when the team is really good and, and winning. I mean, there was. I will sit here and tell you that th- the best season I ever covered the team was 2010, and they were terrible all season long. Like I actually, this, this one I haven't even I haven't even told the story on Snow the goalie. I uh, I got, I had gotten pneumonia uh, at the end of the regular season, and I missed the last uh, three weeks of the regular season in that oh nine ten season, and I was just getting over it when they were playing. They were having that last game of the regular season against the Rangers, and I'm sitting there like, "Don't win, don't win this game, please don't win this," because I didn't feel, still didn't feel well enough to think about having to go cover the playoffs, and then they won and got in. And it was the coolest two-month ride that I've ever been part of. Uh, start rooting a, against a the damn team now, Anthony. Please, <laughs> please, just start rooting <laughs> against them. Change yeah. our fortunes. Yeah. No, it was. I mean, that was totally selfish, but it was the coolest thing. So ultimately, you want the team to do really well because that's the best time, right? That's when things are the best. But you either want them to be doing really well or really poorly because then that's when you have all the drama. It's that mediocrity in the middle that that's when you could feel bad for us. If we were covering a... Yeah, like I felt bad for myself in, in mid-August of uh, yeah. the baseball season. Like it that sucked, was, it right? Was brutal. Yeah, like it was It was one of those At, things where you're like... Phillies were in first place for so long. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we didn't. We never believed. We were card. always miserable covering that. But I mean, it, <laughs> it did. It, good God. It, it just got to be a grind, though. You know, you get to August and you go, okay, let's see. They, they didn't hit and the uh, bullpen didn't do uh, very well. And Gabe Kapler was very polite after the game and uh, we'll try again tomorrow. And, you know, that was the thing. They, they were not only completely mediocre, but they were boring. That was a boring team last year. And that's part of the reason why I'm like, oh, my God, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, from a writer standpoint and from a, from a fan standpoint, the amount of content you're going to get from him, you know how fun that would be? So, I don't know. Got to get the credentials going. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody like Kyle now. I don't know if anybody's yeah. talked to Kyle about getting credentials I for, uh, them in for the Philly season, so, but uh, yeah. yeah, every six hours. You know, maybe maybe, maybe I'll start ping, maybe I'll start pinging him about it too, Bob. Yeah. There you go. Um, really quick, because uh, this this news just broke uh, about twenty minutes ago. Anthony, I'm sure you saw it in your email. Claude Giroux to represent the Flyers at 2019 NHL All Star Weekend. It's his second consecutive appearance. He will be there in San Jose on January 25th and 26th. The All-Star nod is the second in a row for Giroux, the sixth of his career, and the fourth in his last five years. Wow. Are you surprised by this? Am I surprised? No. No. It, I mean, who else could it have possibly been? I mean, they got to send somebody, right? So uh, who, else, who, who else could have possibly been? <laughs> Dale Weiss has had a really nice, surprising year. Uh, you know, you know who I actually, I, I do think has had a good year. We've talked about this a few times. I, you know, the the evolution in Robert Haig's offensive game has been interesting. Sanheim, I think, has been their best defenseman all year. Uh, I, you know, and not like it matters. It's not going to be an all star quality 
uh, even remotely close to that. But but he's been a bright spot for those who don't necessarily follow hockey but are like looking for a reason to maybe hate themselves a little bit and watch this team on a on a day in a day out basis. I, I know that people who listen to this show and listen across up obviously also listen to Snow the Goalie and check out the Press Row show live from Press Row at Wells Fargo Center on the Facebook page of Crossing Broad and Anthony's Twitter slash Periscope at Ant San Philly. They, you know, they, they're looking for a reason to, is that uh, like to try the, to connect the whole thing Is that the equivalent of me saying tune in and to the Phillies to watch the evolution of Nick Williams? Like, what yeah, what's the equivalent, like Anthony? Yeah. Like, I feel like you, you're the one that can make this. this for Travis Sanheim? Yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah, but Sanheim's already better than Nick Williams. Um, yeah. Nick no, Pavetta? I think that that's, mm, yeah. Okay. Pavetta is probably a... Pavetta is probably a better comparison for Sanheim, a guy who, you know, you kind of saw saw glimpses of what he could be, but he always would screw up something and be like, God, he should be better than that. Um, and then he goes through a stretch where he looks really, really good, which he's been on now. But you know, at some point, something's going to happen. You're going to be like, damn, there he goes again. Um, so yeah, I think Nick Pavetta is probably a a very good comparison for Travis Sanheim. You you okay with that, Russ? That's a tough sell for everyone. I dig it. I dig it. I mean, he's he's not worth turning on the game for, but he's worth staying on it. Like if if you happen to fall (laughs) onto the game, stumble upon it. That's what I'm saying. Like you you don't go out of your way. This is actually an interesting thing. So I was I was listening to um, it was the Dave Chang show on the Ringer Podcast Network, and Bill Simmons was on, and they were talking about whatever they were. I forget what the whole conversation was, but they came around to the idea of rating players in the NBA on like the Michelin star kind of way where it's like, you know, a one star is it's a really good restaurant. It's worth checking out a two star restaurant is like worth taking a detour to go out of the way. And three is you have to drop everything that you're doing and try to get a reservation at that restaurant. And, and they kind of ranked different guys. And I think they only had five or so in the NBA that they said are like a three star. If we had to compare, it's like Sanheim probably isn't a Michelin star defenseman right now. Like he's not a guy that, that you would go out of your way to, to watch but if you knew to cue in on a couple of these guys like like him and maybe Travis Konechny, like you might be able to figure out something that's that's worth at least kind of tuning into. But there are plenty of other guys that that should be better contributors at this point that just have not taken a step forward to say the least. And you know, for for better or worse, a lot of the guys who are the most recognizable names to a casual fan or somebody who might have fallen away from the team, quite frankly, just aren't getting it done. And it and you know, Mike Sealski tweeted this out last night. And we'll talk about it more on Snow the Goalie, but like Sealski kind of, you know, alluded to the fact that this core has now been in place through, what is it, Anthony? Five coaches now, four coaches. It was Laviolette, Barubi, um, Hackstall, and Gordon. Am I missing anybody? I no, that's so. correct. Um, it, the core has been with, with the same four coaches, and we've seen the same kind of results. They've gone through coaches, they've gone through GMs, and, and now, you know, they're still doing the same thing. So at some point, you kind of have to look to that core of a team. Now, I don't know what's, what's a worse position to be in. If you're the flyers and you have a few guys that are kind of, you know, you could argue are, are either overpaid or, or paid, you know, a high cap number, but they are legitimate pieces to what some consider a core. Is that better or worse than what the Phillies have? Where really you have two guys in Hoskins and Nola to build around that you can, you can honestly hang your hat on building around. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know which is actually the better position to be in. I mean, baseball, you have no cap, so like maybe it's easier to build a team in that in that way. But well, I think that there are I think there are other players on the Phillies. Um, 
I think there are other players on the Phillies who you could be marginally excited about. Um, they may not have had a great 2018, but I still think that there are players there that you can sit there and say, okay, well, I, you know, they might turn into something. Um, and the fact that they were a first-place team for four months tells you that there's a, something a little bit more there than than with most, you know, than, than maybe what the Flyers had. The Flyers are the worst team in hockey. That's the that's the the reality of this team right now. I mean, they're, you know, I is is uh, I'm I'm just going to take a quick peek here. I just want to see if those other teams are playing tonight. Uh, Ottawa is currently going to go. They're going to overtime, so they're going to get a point and tie the Flyers. Okay, um, which means that only the St. Louis Blues will be behind the Flyers in the standings after tonight. Uh, Ottawa might actually pass them if they score a goal in overtime or, or a shootout. Um, so only the St. Louis Blues will be behind the Flyers after today. That's that, the yeah. Phillies were never the Phillies were not that at any point this season. They were not that bad. They had a terrible stretch in mid-August through the end of the season that was equivalent to being a worse team in the sport. Um, but at no time were they ever that far down in the standings that they were that that bad. So I don't I don't I think you could be a little bit more excited about the the Phillies than you can the Flyers. Woof. <laughs> All right, go Eagles. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, let's let's turn it back to uh, to the Bob. Was there anything on the gambling side for the Eagles for the de- the uh, degenerate gamblers who might still be listening at this point? Yeah. Hey, listen. I mean, there way? are a couple things. Like, I don't want to necessarily get into whether or not the Eagles are going to win the game or lose the game, but uh, there are some some things that I would say are somewhat encouraging with the Eagles uh, this week. Um, first of all, Road Dogs were seven and one against the spread last season. Uh, they were only three and five straight up, meaning that they won the game outright. But they were excellent at covering the spread. And generally, really over the last five or six years, they're twenty-two, nineteen, and one uh, since twenty thirteen uh, at covering the spread. So this is not like a a proposition that suggests that they're going to get their doors blown off on Sunday. Just when you look at, at that alone. Um, the sixth seed in the NFC is uh, against the three seed is seven and four against the spread, uh, dating back to 2003. So, like when they're road dogs, there's just a lot of there's a lot of trends out there that kind of suggest that the Eagles are going to cover the spread. And uh, again, like if you force me to pick the winner of the game, I, I would probably go with Chicago. Um, I will fraud, say that, fraud, I, fraud. I will say now go. <laughs> I will say that uh, actually first uh, uh, rookie quarterbacks in the playoffs or, or quarterbacks making their first start in the postseason have been a disaster against the spread. Uh, the last 17 guys that made their first starts in the postseason are only 4-13 and 13 against the spread. So you have Mitchell Trubisky, who's obviously in that spot. Um, and, and so that does not bode well for him. And really, actually, the teams are 7-10 and 10 straight up uh, with quarterbacks uh, that are home favorites. Uh, making their first starts in the postseason. So, uh, you know, there there are some trends there that, that kind of make the Eagles look like a good play getting five and a half, six points on Sunday. And maybe so, Bob, but I want to say this. Um, and you pointed this out, that, um, you know, the visiting teams um, tended did a little bit well against the spread last year, but they didn't, you know, they they won three out of the eight, which is a, which I think if you go back year over year over year, is actually probably a little bit better than average. Um, I, th- I would bet you that it's about yeah, in fact, uh, two to two and a half. To that point, uh, Road Dogs were actually not very good. Uh, it was the worst year uh, the year prior. So it was yeah. almost offset 
what happened in 2017 was almost offset by 2016. But overall, they've they've actually covered the spread at a, at a fairly high rate. Um, in terms of winning the game outright, though, it is a tough proposition. I mean, there's a yeah. So let's so I want to look at the four games real quick, if we can. Sure. Um, so let's look at let's uh, you got uh, Indy at Houston. You got a rookie quarterback in Houston. Well, not a rookie, but a first first time in the playoffs. Um, and then you got a guy who's been there before in Andrew Luck with Indianapolis, and they're playing great football right now. Um, can you see the Colts winning that game? Yeah, I would actually pick the Colts outright in that game. There's so, two, so, two so reasons would I. that I would. Uh, I would I would take uh, Frank Reich over Bill O'Brien. I, I don't yep. think all that much of Bill O'Brien, to be honest with you. And also, uh, let me give you one here. Andrew Luck has been sacked 18 times this season. Deshaun Watson has been sacked 62 times. Yep. He's been sacked 16 times in his last three games, and the Colts have actually sacked him 12 times in the two times they've already played. That yeah, matters. And, and the, the, the Colts' defense is, is actually – you know, un, very underrated. It's it's had a re- the Colts have had a good yeah they've been very good against play. the run. They're they're a little yeah. bit vulnerable in the back end, but they they do defend the run very well. Right. So, so yeah, I, I actually so I like, like the Colts a lot in that in that spot. Okay. So 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 do I. Okay. Seattle at Dallas. <laughs> Got to try to remove my bias. Uh, I like the Seahawks. I think they're a better team. So do, and, so do uh, I. <laughs> yeah. uh, one okay, thing so I will tell you: two trends that I really liked in that game that uh, we were able to come up with. Russell Wilson is. 21-10-2 against the spread uh, as an underdog. Uh, and he's also 21-6-3 in prime time games against the spread. I'll say that one more time. 21-6-3 against the spread in prime time games. Dallas also has historically absolutely no, no home field advantage at AT&T Stadium. Uh, they are 41-59-3 um, against the spread at that stadium at Jerry World. And they're also 28-46-2 against the spread as a home favorite. They do not play well, and they do not cover the spread at a consistent rate at home. Uh, and I think Seattle's the better team, and I'll take Pete Carroll all friggin' day, uh, you know, over Jason Garrett. So okay. I, I know I might have the, the anti-Cowboys thing going, but I don't we're, say we're, it. We're in agreement there, two for two. Uh, San Diego – well, San, I always say San Diego. L.A. Chargers uh, at Baltimore. Again, Baltimore first uh, with a rookie quarterback going against an experienced quarterback. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, obviously the, the Chargers got their ass kicked by the Ravens two weeks ago in wherever the hell they're at now, L.A. or wherever they're playing. They're in like a 30,000-seat soccer stadium. I actually like the fact that they're going on the road here. Um, I'll, I'll take a shot on the Chargers. I don't have a ton of confidence in it, but I would roll with them in this spot. I don't know that Baltimore's good enough or – I actually think that, I think that the Chargers are the better team, and I just don't think they're going to lose twice in three weeks to them. So I would roll with the Chargers. And so would I. And that's interesting, Bob, because that means we've now picked three visiting teams to win win the games outright this weekend. Outright. <laughs> so that when leaves the, you with the Eagles. Yeah, I know. I, I hear you. you when so. was the last time we had four visiting teams win? On, has it? I think it's happened once, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see it. I just don't. Uh, I'll, I guess we'll make our official predictions on the website uh, on Sunday, but uh, I've had some I success that, with the NFL this year. Uh, I have been an absolute nightmare picking Eagles games. I, yeah. I just yeah, so I almost take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. There, if, if I said take the Eagles with the points, you might want to just roll Chicago. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I could I could see them covering, but I don't I don't necessarily know if they're going to play well enough to actually win the game. Yeah, uh, I just. 
when it comes down to it and I, in that game, I just look at Trubisky and I don't trust him. I know the defense can wreck the game, but the Eagles up front, the way that they've been playing with their front four, I think they're going to pose problems. And really, since Jordan Hicks has come back, I know he hasn't really made any difference-making type plays, but they've been pretty stout against the run the past couple weeks, too. I just think if you're going to put the ball in Trubisky's hands, I know that he can extend plays with his legs. I just – I don't think that they're going to be able to run away from the Eagles. I, I just don't. So that's that's my sense, but we'll see. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think that's uh, probably a good place to wrap. Okay. All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on. And, of course, uh, for more on the Phillies, go check out uh, Bob and Anthony's podcast, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. Uh, I think we'll be back again on Friday with another episode. If not, we put out two this week. I don't know if that's worth getting a pat on the back for or not. Um, but go over to iTunes, leave a review, leave a rating. Let us know how you uh, how you felt about the two shows this week. Or uh, find us on Twitter. And uh, Anthony and I will be dropping a new episode of Snow the Goalie uh, for Thursday. So if you're looking for some more in-depth Flyers talk, make sure you go uh, check that out. Anthony and I will uh, also be down at Wells Fargo Center for uh, Thursday's game against uh, Carolina. And we'll be doing the uh, Press Row Show live for pregame, first, and second intermission shows on the Crossing Broad Facebook page, as well as on Anthony's Periscope and Twitter at his uh, Twitter handle, at AntSanPhilly. So make sure you uh, find us there and interact with all that. For uh, Bob at BW Crossing Broad and Anthony at AntSanPhilly, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. bouts i think there's just kind of like there's a nostalgia factor too of of him having started in wwe he made that crossover and actually won a fight or two so now people think he's more legitimate and in the case of rousey like she started in mma and she's trying to make that transition to wwe but like Mm -hmm. fans have kind of turned on her in a sense they not within like the little bubble that is monday night raw but when they do crossover promotions and crossover pay-per-views it's clear that she's not even close to being number one. Becky Lynch, who I mentioned before, is like the number one person in the company right now. So yeah. it's weird. Like they definitely wanted Rousey to be that. I think they expected Rousey to kind of take that women's division to a new level, and for you know casual MMA fans to make that jump over to to yeah. see how her career is going. But I, I, it's not like it's backfired. But I just don't think it's it's worked out the way that they expected it to. So that's your WWE update. Yeah, no, sorry, I was I was zoning out there for a minute because I had to uh, delete a racist comment off the Lane Johnson story. But I think oh, we're man. all good now. Yeah, we just do all a right. quick scan here for anything racist or anti-Semitic. But uh, otherwise, thanks uh, thanks everybody for listening to the podcast <laughs> and like uh, reading all our stuff over the last year. It is New Year's Eve, actually. So yeah, it's true. It's the we last didn't do any year ender. We didn't do any like year ender stuff for the website because I, you know, what, well, I was what the going to, the and, and nobody responded. Only well, because I, dude, I wrote Tim like, responded. Yeah, but I, I like you know, I do like all the little blog posts and like some, some, you know, some of the posts would just be like a tweet or some bullshit or whatever. But I ended up writing. I think I ended up writing like eight hundred stories this year. I had like eight hundred posts, so there's no way I was going to be able to look through all of them. Look through everything and pick like what was. Yeah, well, I'll, put, I'll put this one up. So Tim, the, NBC, for the, the site. NBC Sports article that that Kyle and I worked on together ended up doing that really well, one. and we got some. Um, that wasn't supposed to be a hit piece, by the way. It was just like people came to us and they wanted to talk, and they said, "You have no idea how bad it is here." So we wrote that up, and some people. Well, liked I think you guys it, did so. a good job with it. Thank so you. that that was Thanks. a good that was a good post. Uh, Tim Riley, who who writes for the site, um, he passed along that his favorite thing that he wrote was uh, right after the. The Eagles won. Uh, uh, it wasn't the Super Bowl. Maybe this is the NFC Championship game. 
Yeah, he said, "Oh, it was the yeah. it was the um, the win over the Falcons." Yes, in the playoffs, he wrote um, "Life at the Intersection of Cotman and Frankfurt," and that was a really good piece. If you go back and check it out, it's from January twenty second. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, that was a really cool piece that he wrote. Um, I could go through everybody and, and say what my favorite thing that they wrote was, but yeah. then it just uh, it's but almost self indulgent as the time yeah. that I. Uh, I don't like to I, get all super like some people come out on Twitter and they do these like super sappy like year ending things like I, I you know. I just wanted to say thanks for this and that and blah, blah, blah. And it was a good year for me. And here's everything I did. And it's like goes on for like 10 tweets or something like that, you know. Yeah. But but we are very appreciative of everybody who listened to the podcast and read all our stories and stuff like that. And on to uh, 2019, you know. I agree. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I will uh, I'll agree with that. And I'll say to the people who have uh, stuck with this show through all the uh, the ups and the downs of the uh the infrequency this of it. This is two shows in two, lack, in two weeks, lack, man. This I know. Is, this is a lot. Well, it's, it's, well, when did, when did you do the last one? Thursday? See, that actually isn't a bad Two shows in one That's, week. How about that? How about it? Yeah, um, the only thing I'll say is I know that in the new year, the, uh, the goal is to get this thing back up and running on a more frequent basis. I don't know if it'll be three times a week. We're still kind of figuring that out as a team, but the show will be going back out as a much more consistent thing um, as we get further and further into this Eagles playoff run. Yeah, and don't worry, there will still, the be, Super Bowl there and, will still uh, be two <laughs> soccer podcasts. For yes, there will be. Uh, and, you know, as we get further into uh, Flyers and, and, uh, and Sixers seasons, so, uh, you know, make sure yeah. you keep checking out the stuff that's going up on the site. Kevin won't give himself all the props. He said that he wrote like Anna to post this year, and it's, it's true. He's done a uh, yeoman's work. Yeoman's work, yeoman's work, yeoman's yeah, work. Y- yeah, Y E O M A N. He's in yeoman's work for the site this year, um, being on call at all Mike times Yo. to 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 take the uh, the big the big pieces like the NBC Sports one, and uh, you know nonsensical irreverent things, and uh, you know Bob has done a lot on the uh, the gambling side and baseball and Anthony of course with hockey and who am I missing? Phil's been doing the Premier League stuff and he did a bunch of Jamel uh, Jamel Hill things and kind of like that that side of thing. And, the Jamel Hill beat. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Remember when she um, went to the Atlantic and everybody thought she was going to the Went athletic. to the Athletic. Yeah. That was maybe the best mix-up of the year. Um, Coggins written some really, Jamel really Hill, funny things. Why Tim, I'm joining the Atlantic. Tim, I think, is is maybe the uh, the Tim's all-star probably the of best the team. Ra- he's probably the best writer on the site. We got to get. Well, he's him what to pen do educated. So Tim, <laughs> Tim like doesn't say much. And yeah, when, he didn't when go Slack, to a dire- when, directional like, school. And, and when uh, when Slack pops up and it's just like, all right, it's the normal normal cast and crew just like dropping in ideas for posts. Whenever I and see a Tim Tim thing appear in drafts i'm like ah yes this will be yeah very you see good. like and it on, never uh, requires on, on like slack, any editing at all it's always, on it's always slack, like you see like <laughs> riley t7 is typing and you're like oh my god what is this this is amazing yeah, and then yeah and he'll good, just go yeah. kyle kevin i have a thing in 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 uh in drafts yeah. it's like oh this is this is gonna be things sometimes I'm it's like, a book review god, yeah. and then sometimes it's it's other stuff but i i, I really got a kick out of it so well like i said my resolution next year is to do uh was it to do more hot takes or less hot takes? I can't remember. To you said more? you were going to do more hot to takes. To do more hot takes, all right. Which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I still, uh, well, we still have a few. We still have like 12 hours until uh, 2019 hits, so I might flip-flop um, and change my mind on that. But that would make me like Skip Bayless, who you have a new respect for. So there you I go. Do. Well, hey, I'm looking forward to dropping this new uh, Yori Letaire thing I have, uh, including Skip. I'm trying to figure out a way to embed the video, but there's a, there's a part here where... Uh, one of the guys who's charged in the Yori Laterra cocaine ring mm-hmm. is shoving his face into his mittens in the courtroom. It's oh, really? not that cold. I know Finland's cold, but it's not that cold in the courtroom. Oh, okay. Well, so anyway, yeah, looking I'll forward to, you, to uh, dropping that to one. That so, yeah. okay. uh, go check out all the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including 
Mm. Kevin, on uh, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, oh. one of the soccer podcasts, as well as uh, Crossing Broad FC with myself and Phil Kaidel. Uh, Snow the Goalie with uh, Anthony Sanfilippo and myself. We'll also be doing the Press Row show live from Wells Fargo Center Press Row on Facebook Live via the Crossing Broad page and on Anthony's Twitter account at AnSanPhilly. Uh, what else? Oh, and uh, of course, Crossed Up as we wait for Manny Machado and Bryce Harper to make their minds up. Bob and uh, and Anthony do Crossed Up a Phillies podcast, so make sure you go subscribe to those shows. And I know not everybody reads the descriptions of these episodes, but if you look at the bottom, there are links to all of those shows. I think it redirects you either to Art19 or to iTunes. You just click on that, and then you can subscribe on whatever platform you want to subscribe on. Find those guys on Twitter, all that. So, uh, thanks for a great 2018. We'll be back at it again in 2019. So, for right. Kevin, at Kevin underscore Kincaid, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again. Happy New Year. In the new year! <laughs>